You're listening to Not Another Origin Story, the comic book movie podcast. I'm your host, Pogues, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ben Chapman. Pogues, it's fantastic to be here. Uh, pop quiz, when did the Green Hornet come out? Don't look. Uh, two, when did it come out? 2001? 2011. <laughs> I... I think we talked about this on the mini episode. And I know. I already it's, forgot it's, because it's, it still feels wrong. It still feels like a you, movie from. The do you want to know 2000s. how little I remembered? I have a note here that says, "Boy, early two thousands was really cool with sexual harassment as a joke." Because <laughs> no. I, I thought the movie came out in early two thousand while watching it today, assumedly with the date of the movie above the time. <laughs> no, no, this movie, this movie, uh, it came out in twenty eleven, which I repeat feels impossible <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's so insane that this would be like the movie I, I don't know it's it's so dated but not for 2011 which is what's weird like it's really just, it feels like early 2000s just so you know captain america the first avenger came out this year yeah it, iron man had already been out inception and and like thor were coming out this this year Batman as well Begins had already come out. i think dark knight the Dark Knight might have come out in 2011, or was it 2012? Although, in all fairness to the uh, the backwards, confused timeline of superhero movies, the Green Lantern film also came out of this movie. So, not a great year for comic book movies or comic book movies with the word green. Yeah, I guess if you were a fan of green, <laughs> it was just a real shit year for you. Because, boy, this is... This was... This was something. I, I was surprised while watching it that I never was, like, bored, you know? Like, I was never looking down to be like, how much time's left? But at the same time, I just kept thinking, who who greenlit this movie? And then watched the dailies and thought, we're nailing it. I'm glad you said this, because this movie is rated on average, if you look across many sites, as a 5 out of 10. And I've never seen a movie that better represents... Yes pure mediocre ass the middle of the road <laughs> the middle of the road in this movie like we often have a hard time with extremes of this podcast because a it's funnier to be either mad or passionate about something passionately in love with something those are those are better like energies to bring to a podcast yes. but <laughs> can't get up with the fact that this is so we're, we're usually like flying to ones or tens but i've never felt <laughs> a, a firm five as hard as this movie. yeah while watching it i was just like huh like, things would happen, and I'd be like, that was an interesting choice. And never was I like, boy, this is boring. But at the same time, was I never like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying this. I always just thought, this is a movie that's playing while I'm watching it. Because, like, just in summation, because, like, Seth Rogen did get me to laugh a few times. He did get me, occasionally. and But it was in, it was pretty infrequent. And, and the action scenes were fine, at times good, at times at long times and arduous, horrible, and horrible, and attempting to abuse 3D, yes, and perhaps and, and questionable th- uh, CGI, and perhaps too spaced out with uh, scenes that had no <laughs> had no consequence. <laughs> but but yeah, the whole time, I mean, it, it's it moves. It has an acceleration that keeps it like plodding through from A to B. But boy, is it uh, plodding! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's getting there. Um, it's such a bizarre movie. My my notes are like just like oscillate between like like commenting of curiosity, wondering if what I'm liking is good, <laughs> and then just being mad at something for like two lines. It's it's pretty insane. Um, 
Uh, I'll, and I will say, this is un- undoubtedly the most Seth Rogen movie we have watched on this podcast. Well, I, I think it's also the only Seth Rogen movie we've watched on this podcast. Unless what I I'm blacked saying, out and at one point he played Superman and I forgot. It's the only Seth Rogen we need because <laughs> it is... It is um it is just it is just peak peak Seth Rogen but again a much earlier Seth Rogen I would think yeah I, it, it, you sort of said something that made me think is the middle of this movie like there's parts of this movie that feel like they were outtakes from like Pineapple Express <laughs> yeah. like like just you know like like it just has those scenes that are just nonsense for no reason but you just let it ride because it's clearly a movie designed to be watched while you're high this movie sometimes just had scenes where I thought the fuck was the point of that that was just 12 minutes of just nothing yeah there's there's this vibe to the whole movie it's not just seth rogan that's like irreverent everyone's irreverent to some degree the villain christoph Walt, you know waltz is irreverent he, uh, yeah. he makes up a, a new title for himself because he's not scary enough even though he's the villain who's shooting people um uh, that was uh, a confusing villain turn <laughs> Cato is is frequently attempts at being irreverent. Like, a, a, everyone's like irreverent about what's happening, and and in a way that's admirable, and in a way it's d- just a complete and utter failure of a movie because no one's committing to stakes. <laughs> yeah, I guess like the thing that's weird is so the the plot of the movie. My mind was, I I just assumed, and I don't know why I had this assumption. I thought this. I saw a trailer one time, and this was the plot: that Seth Rogen is this rich guy's son, and he's a real fuck up. His father dies, and he finds out that his father was the Green Hornet, a superhero from like the sixties. The trailer That's what definitely I implies the plot this. Was the movie that is not the plot of the movie? The, they the just trailer... make up the Green Hornet. The trailer heavily implies this because we watched the trailer when we were doing our mini episode. It heavily implied that his father was like a like a like he's like inheriting the Batman legacy of some kind. Yes, which, which is confusing. Would have been a better movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a far smoother origin story. But it also um, fits to allow the character to be like a doofus. Like a doofus isn't going to invent a superhero to become. You know what I mean? Like it didn't make any sense for him to be like, oh, let's be heroes. It's like you're a doofus. You're, you're... Yeah, because we learn the Green Hornet fully doesn't exist when, when yes. before before Seth Rogen's uh, or, or Brit's uh, father, uh, the, the media mogul, passes away. Um, and then the movie says, "All right, are you willing to watch the most inept, <laughs> absolutely useless person become the central superhero figure for an entire movie?" That is the most confusing part of this film because Seth Rogen's sort of disarmed charm, you know, it totally works wherever he employs it. it. But what what is confusing is his character, Brit, is like, I I have a lot of money and I'm going to, I guess, somewhat apply that money to becoming a superhero. I will not <laughs> attempt to learn anything that will help yes. me. And that was, that was sort of my problem <laughs> with the movie. Is, so the basic structure of the film, you assume, is Seth Rogen, who is in shape for Seth Rogen. You know, I'm not bad-mouthing him. It's not like I'm ripped or anything. But, like, he's in shape for Seth Rogen in this movie. So your assumption is, though, is he's Seth Rogen. He's not known for being an action star. So you think, oh, Kato, it's going to sort of be like, you know, if you watch the old 60s Green Hornet, like, the Green Hornet doesn't do... I mean, he, I guess he punches people a lot. 
But like a lot of times he's he fucks up and Kato comes and saves him. And that's sort of the thing is like Kato's a badass. The Green Hornet's just a guy with a lot of money. With no he's like as if Batman were two separate people. The one who's really good at martial arts and the billionaire. And and I thought yeah. that's what they were gonna do is be like Seth Rogen was gonna keep getting into like wacky situations and Kato would save him. But that doesn't really seem to be the plot either. <laughs> like the movie like half ass these tropes for for like what they're trying to do, which is unlikely person becomes hero. But they yeah, do it's... them in the weirdest way. He, it's like not a legacy. He makes him up. He's sometimes good at being the Green Hornet. Sometimes he's shit. It's like just pick one or the other. And he does it exclusively to be cool. It seems the the um, logic for why they're because... doing it makes no sense, and why they have to be bad guys. An extremely makes no imp- sense. an extremely important thing happens here, which is that Seth Rogen. It sounds like we're saying to you, the listener, that Seth Rogen's character has a Batman moment where his father dies, and we ass- you're assuming I'm going to say it's crime related, and so Seth, uh, you know, Brit realizes he has to like, you know, become a, 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 an act, uh, you know, a, a weapon of vengeance for his father's untimely death. No, his father is killed by a bee sting. I, I know we learn later that it's it's premeditated murder, but his father is killed by a bee sting, and he's like, dang. That sure sucks. And in his grieving, he meets Kato, an impossible human being oh, who yeah. has way, way too many talents, who just shows him, oh, I, I invent superhero gadgets for fun in my free time. Would you like to be a superhero? And Seth Rogen says, that sounds like a blast. That is the, the plot way, The movie. way we're introduced to Kato is, too, is we find out that for some reason Seth Rogen fired all the servants in his father's house. Which seems like a weird thing to do when you're rich, because who's going to take care of the property? And one of the people he fires turns out to make his coffee, and it's Cato, the mechanic. And so his introduction is, he's really good at making coffee. Like, what kind of introduction like introduction to a character is that? Oh, I fired him, but I miss good coffee. Let's bring this character back. It's so weird. It is weird, but again, to, to make it even worse is that this individual then becomes uh, uh, an important sidekick to him yes. only because he's, he's they're, they're like, drunk. Yeah. And uh, look, I made a cool car and this grappling hook gun or whatever, and, and he's like, cool, let's go fight crime. All right. Well, they go like, to I, steal... They, they go to cut the head off of the statue of Brit's dad because Brit thinks he was an asshole because his dad wasn't a very good father, which is, you know, whatever. But... They cut it off, and while they're out there, some people are, you know, taking a nighttime walk past a cemetery and are accosted by, like, the gang from the Crows. Or from the Crow, like, the, you know, like, fire yeah. it. Like, this gang that appears to just be, a, like, coming out to murder and rape these people, like, on a somewhat busy and well-lit L.A. street. I mean, I know L.A.'s not known for their quick police response time, but I feel like maybe don't do it on, like, Santa Monica Boulevard. <laughs> and then Brit tries to stop him and then runs away and Kato sees him and then we're introduced to Kato's ability to bend time and space by something. I didn't I couldn't quite understand if he was Sheer to... will? Yeah, they said he says, When my heart's beating, time slows down. And at first I thought it was supposed to be like he was hyper aware. There's a scene later where time literally slows down and he moves faster than everyone else. As if like he's quicksilver 
Like, yeah. nobody else is moving, and he runs around and punches a guy. And I was like, his, wait, what the his, fuck is going on? His only line explaining it is that he grew up on the mean streets of, uh, you know, Shanghai. Where home, of Shanghai. Um, and that's it. That's all we get, is that apparently he grew up in a hard area. And so that makes him a super criminal. But let me talk for a minute about how Cato makes no sense. There is there is zero... The, no one... You know how at the top of a script, they write a brief description of the character? Because, like, Brit... Brit um, uh, 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 Reed, uh, which is Seth Rogen's character, which just reads, Brit Reed, like, mid-30s, uh, uh, dumpy but lovable, uh, uh, unmotivated but passionate, you know, whatever. Um, that's what they would read so that the person reading the script would know. I don't know what they would write for J. Chow's character, Kato, because... His character is a super genius. He is an Iron Man level ability to construct gadgetry that would exceed anything that the military industrial complex is currently doing. So he is absolutely perhaps the smartest mind in the yeah, Green he's Hornet built universe. Like a bulletproof car. A, a completely bulletproof car with multiple like ejector seats, missile launchers, gun doors. He, uh, he uh, builds uh, his own missiles. That's not a skill. Builds his own. Yeah. There usually isn't one guy doing that, even in the military. Well, like I mean, not... you have to like, where do you get a missile? Like you would, he, yeah, they, he would have yeah. to machine the shell of a missile, then it's all insane. the mechanics inside of it. And he does it casually, like what appears to be in his free time while listening to music. Yes, it's while absolute... Seth Rogen tries on eight different costumes. It's insane. It's insane. But also, that would imply that he seems a very, very serious, intense man. But no, he's a lovable guy who likes music and drinking and goofing around with Seth Rogen. And he's down to be its extremely irresponsible and just go roll around the city attacking people at, at indiscriminately because it sounds neat and in rad yeah. and a cool and story. The stuff that is really weird is, is they decide they have to be criminals, but the logic behind that makes no sense. No. Why did they have to be criminals? It, it sounds like they could just fight criminals easily yeah. by driving around in, the, in their supercar and shooting and at them, which is exclusively me. what they do. I was like, I was like, maybe I don't know. I don't remember that being the plot of the Green Hornet that he was a criminal, like that he was thought to be a criminal. But maybe I'm wrong. It's not like I've read the Green Hornet that closely. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of a weird story. And then during all these like zany moments. You're introduced to Christoph Waltz, like, character, who's the bad guy. He was introduced, like, right away. And he is instantly comedy relief, which is a weird thing to do for the villain in a film that's all comedy relief. You know what I mean? Like, you want one straight guy, don't you? Like, one person in the movie needs to be the straight guy that everybody else plays off of. When everybody's zany, I don't know, you're just, like, watching Animaniacs. It's really confusing but 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 to, to finish up on Cato, so to, to to recap he's an ultimate super genius he's a technological wizard of an engineer he's also perhaps the best martial artist on planet earth based on the fact that we described earlier not only can he take on like eight or nine armed combatants with no weaponry but he can do so by bending time <laughs> Which he does casually and in a way that he doesn't even realize is in fact supernatural. Yeah. He's also super chill, likes to drink, likes to you know to to, to date and go. Out, and he has no apparent flaws yet has somehow ended up being the sidekick in this film. Which What's I, I guess I guess they do bring up is there's a break where he gets mad because he he says I'm your partner and he keep you know people keep saying he's like his sidekick. Sure, which I and, guess and perhaps, is something. Perhaps everyone's racist. They always call him the chauffeur or whatever. 
And arguably he's wearing like what appears to be a yeah, chauffeur's which jacket. I, I, but... I didn't know if that was supposed to be. There's a bunch of like weird nods to the Green Hornet history in this movie that feel out of place unless you're like the one person who's really into Green Hornet history. And that's the original plot is Cato is his driver. That's why they're yeah. always together. So I didn't know if that was supposed to be a reference or they were just supposed to be like, and that explains, you know, because he's wearing a chauffeur's hat. But it's really weird. And it's just like, I just, yeah. Yeah. I just can't get over the fact that he's not, he, he, he has an absolute, his, he has an amorphous personality that fits whatever the scene is. He's either, he's either the straight man to Seth Rogen occasionally, or he's, he's morphing into some sort of weird, like, buddy, buddy cop, like, friend. Like, it's not like the, the typical buddy cop dynamic. He's just sort of doing all of the roles, and Seth Rogen is just doing There's Seth no Murtaugh, Rogen. you know? Yeah, he's Kato is frequently by the book and then doing fun quips and then goofing around and getting drunk and like hitting on girls. So it's like it's, he's 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 both characters, and then Seth Rogen's just sort of making quips about how weird it is, like yeah, what they're doing, and, and that's it. Yeah, and their plans are really dumb. At one point, they just drive through a building. That's yeah, their they plan d- to fight crime. They drive through many buildings. Uh, uh, nothing is worse than the fact that uh, they're, one of their first outings, they go out, and they're just like, we're looking for crime. And they don't even know what that really means. They're not after a particular gangster, because again, Seth Rogen's father has not been killed by anyone specific so far, the, yeah, in the movie's he knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So he's just, they're just out there roaming for criminals when they Which... find a bunch of guys standing on a street corner and go, that's them, those are the criminals. And I'm like, boy, uh, that's, <laughs> that's a... That's that's not that's kind of how policing works. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of an issue. It's called racist profiling. They drove to like the a... bad part of town and saw five guys on a street corner and thought, "I bet they're drug you... dealers." But don't worry, basically, they what happens out to be drug dealers? They decide to be freelance vigilantes, and their first order of business is to stop and frisk. <laughs> yeah. Stop and frisk an ethnically specific group of individuals. But but luckily they happen to pick the people who were the insane criminals because he's like, hey, who's your boss? And the guy pulls out a gun and tries to kill him. Drug deals don't go south that quick. And and no drug dealer wants a murder on their record. Like, you don't want that heat. Nobody does. You shoot at your competition and occasionally the police if they attempt to arrest you. Those are your targets. No drug dealer is just like, I'm going to shoot anyone that comes up to me because, you know, they might be my customers, you fucking maniac. (laughs) I know. And it's not like his question is really, he's just like, who do you work for? I can just be like, no one. He's like, this is who. And he pulls a gun. I was like, wow, this guy went from zero to 60 so fast. He should stop doing that. Oh, my God. And, like, the whole time, it's just Cato being, like... Cato is, like, M and James Bond uh, and Q. Like, and like he's just, like, the whole, like, the, you know... <laughs> but then, like, here's the other thing I thought was odd. So, there's, like, nine references to Bruce Lee in this movie. Yes. And so, I expected that the guy would get out and do, like, just karate. Because, let's be honest you know as a person you know a random guy here in ohio karate always looks awesome it doesn't matter you know what i mean it's just cool so he gets out and you think oh he's gonna do something neat you know like drop the clip out of the gun and kick it into some guy's face you know like the shit like you see in every kung fu movie yeah 
Instead, occasionally he warps time and then just kind of punches somebody. And so the fight scenes weren't particularly interesting, which was really bizarre. And then they keep referencing, like, you know, a couple things with Bruce Lee. And I'm like, why didn't you just have him fight like Bruce Lee then? Like, why couldn't, you know, it just seemed like such an odd thing not to just have him do, like, Jet Kundo, the yeah. martial art Bruce Lee created, and just be like, there you go. I mean, it looks pretty cool if you, you know, if you watch people beat the crap out of somebody with it. So it just seemed the, odd. It was like they didn't prey on classic kung fu tropes. They didn't the come only up with anything they, interesting. It's just a guy doing quote unquote kung fu. The only thing I see them do is the, like the one inch punch is done at one point. Yes, um, which is just a reference to Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, and I, I think, I think there's at least one or two other. Well, oh, um, there's the reference. Uh, let's see. There's the the one inch punch where he punches that guy through the window. Um, there's the scene where Kato says, oh, I'm too fast for TV. That's famous because they actually had uh, to film the show at a different speed during the fight scenes, and Bruce Lee had to do them at 30% his speed because he was so fast, the camera couldn't catch him. So he would just look like a blur. You couldn't tell what was going on because the camera's in the 60s. So that was like a joke. Uh, there's a picture of Bruce Lee in his sketchbook. Uh, the reference to him having nunchucks is something from uh, the 60s. Yeah, I suppose uh, that makes Hornet. sense. So it's just like, there's like all these like little sub-references to it, and I'm just like, but why not have him just be really good at martial arts? Why did he have to have this weird time warp ability? Like, couldn't he have just been a dude? I will say, like, the visual the visual of, like, him, like, identifying threats, and then there's Yeah, where strange... he has, like, Predator vision, or I guess Terminator. Yeah, that would have been fine if I just had some awareness of, like, why... Uh, that made sense, uh, and 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 it was done in like a tempered way. But instead, as we mentioned, he like literally runs faster than humans 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 can do. Um, there's also like a one or two weird moments where I guess you know Mich- Michelle Gondry, who if you've forgotten directed this fucking movie, in case you didn't listen to the mini episode, um, is trying to do something interesting. Like there's one in the very beginning where Cato runs across the car and to into into indicate how he's moving they do sort of like a like a six million dollar man thing where he's like sort of like the the car sort of like stretches out like do you know what i'm talking about yeah that scene? yeah there's like a weird like the car sort of like effect elaborate like like extrapolates itself to indicate that he's like sprinting in a way that he's almost like like moving faster than you can perceive and it's neat if that was what the action scenes like tended to look like through this film that would have been interesting but they don't that happens like twice, maybe, and the rest of them are pretty run-of-the-mill action sequences where like eight, eight, 18 guys with automatic weapons shoot at a dumpy Seth Rogen who somehow manages to just sort of like roll out of the way <laughs> and just get free and just be like fine. There's one sequence where they're in like the um they're in like the 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 car dump where they absolutely get like completely ambushed in a successful way that should not have been been able to get out of, but as they stumble out of the car um that they escaped. They run through, like, a ditch full of brambles, and they're, like, caught in the brambles, and they're moving slowly in a ditch, and there's, like, nine gang ma- gang members on top of the ditch with AKs, and I'm like, well, I think they lost. Yeah, <laughs> like, somehow <laughs> no one hits anyone, and I was like, seriously? Like, this is ridiculous. Again, it's really hard to, to buy that when it's it's a relatively fit, but still, Seth Rogen. <laughs> the movie establishes that he has no physical... You know, ability that he's not even just like 
a gym rat who like is rich and like spends his time like working out and like and thus is just sort of accidentally action hero-y no he's he's just he's straight out of pineapple express (laughs) yeah it's just such a bizarre i don't know it's so weird (laughs) and and yeah so i I don't understand why the villains suck so badly but that leads us to talk about (laughs) that leads us to talk about um the actual villain in this movie (laughs) yeah christoph walks waltz playing Chudnovsky, no first name. And Isn't that weird? He's introduced <laughs> in a scene in which you know you get James Franco because an uncredited James Franco. I think Seth Rogen. I, I think like he, it's like he can't go it's... anywhere without James Franco following. And this is insane because I, it, we mentioned it in the mini. This is two years uh, following Inglorious Bastards, which is basically an absolute. Yeah, I still can't role. believe to me that this is after that like he had that role i think was nominated for an oscar maybe but got like tons of nominations you know golden globes and shit and then was like let me follow it up with a turd (laughs) yes he won an oscar for best performance uh, by an actor in a supporting role uh in 2010 um um so so he he won an oscar for that role there is no other film between this and green hornet not one and more importantly Inglorious Bastards is his first American film. Yeah. Every other film he's done is a breakout TV show or, or, or film in, in Germany. So this was a huge transition for him. He's still like a relatively you know well-known and respected actor, I think, in Hollywood. But here he is going from the best role he's ever done to this weirdness. I admit, I, I like that he's bringing some quirkiness to the role. But as we said before, he should at least be... <laughs> A threatening character and he is also a goofball <laughs> yeah and and honestly he's it, it, his quirkiness doesn't really come off that well like i, no, I don't know he, he's like he's like muted quirky like the bit is that he's like oh i'm not scary but it's not like done in like a humorous way it's like a person just being like oh you don't you don't think i'm scary that's okay is there something i could do different it's just like such flat line readings and i was just like boy this is just so bizarre yeah he, he has a weird this... gun that has two barrels i didn't understand what the fuck the purpose of that was he, he is doing this sort of meta commentary on the fact that he is a villain but uh but 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 his brand has waned over the years and people have started to lose respect not because of his actions but because of the fact that i guess gangsters have a gimmick or or, or well, style but that's not or even flash apparently one guy opened a club and said i don't think you're scary anymore and that like destroyed this guy's self-confidence which is a weird sort of character thing to have for your main villain is random commentary from people really bothers him you know what i mean yeah he's he's got a super a super shallow uh, uh appreciation for himself is the is the villain's like i guess like central central theme which is pretty fucking bizarre and then he, he reappears throughout the film just sort of like with like yeah like middling comedy essentially just being like i want to be scarier and people don't seem to be able to pronounce my name which i, I assume is my last name which appears to be like czechoslovakian yeah or eastern european but maybe, but yeah, Chris, Polish, maybe? christoph christoph waltz is just doing his traditional german accent well and he works, you're well he aware works, that hollywood thinks 
Europe is, sure. is, a, is a country. <laughs> so he, anywhere from Europe counts. And he works with two people, um, which is which is an, an inexplicably British man named Popeye, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, a, a, a local gangster named Chili. Yes, Chili, um, like who, the food group. Who and they both appear to be total like. They could just be named unnamed supporting mobster one and unnamed supporting mobster two. They're not given anything specific to do at any point during the movie. Yet when one of them dies, we witness a funeral for him. And we witness a funeral for him. And I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah, that was just like, and two, what I realized was, so I was watching it and closed captioning was on. I watched it on Netflix and I just have closed captioning on Netflix for some unknown reason. I don't know why. I guess I've just never turned it off. (laughs) But at one point, he yells and it says chili and he yells because it's like off camera and i was like that guy had a character name and then christoph waltz yells chili and i was like wait you can't introduce a character's name as he dies it was so bizarre it would be a lot like if in the middle of like uh, a, a sequence in Star Wars: A stormtrooper is shot, and Darth Vader turned to go, "Greg!" Yeah. Like you can't, you can't just, you oh, can't just. God damn it. <laughs> it! It's so strange. And we spent time with Christoph Waltz, briefly a scene or two, like <laughs> morning chili. Yeah. And, and then, then later, later, just murders shoot, the other guy, <laughs> shooting the other guy who doesn't care for his sudden turn. To try to become a supervillain. This is confusing. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to like create the origin of a supervillain. Naturally, in what in a world where there are none, right? Because this is Green Hornet, there aren't other there's, you know, there's no Superman, there's no heroes doing anything. It's all, vaguely like what happens in Kick-Ass, where like, you know, everyone's aware of the concept of heroes, and then they then p- characters start to, you know, uh, create those roles in reality for themselves, whether it be hero or villain. Um, but in that one, like the villain does it intentionally to trick the hero and then sort of starts to like the role. You know what I mean? There's sort of like a, there's sort of like a, a design there, but yeah, just randomly Christoph Waltz again, who's only been like, who's only been chided at by a guy he killed. <laughs> yes. Easily. Um, by himself with no help, uh, uh, easily killed him is like, I'm going to change my entire, I'm going to re- brand myself and rename myself a terrible thing to do because name recognition is an extremely important part of being a gangster i'd imagine Um, yeah you'd probably want it except for uh for police reasons i guess so his his name change is bloodnovsky yeah so as a reminder his name is the vaguely eastern european chud chudnovsky and he renames himself to bloodnovsky and if you're wondering what it is that you're missing it's nothing. That's just what he's doing. And he says it over and over again to his to his henchmen as if Christoph Waltz is trying to plead with the audience to understand. This, yeah. This, I feel like the, I feel like the British guy was like a, a low level script doctor, like writer who was just like this is fucking stupid. I don't do this. This is really dumb. And some movie exec was like mm, kill that guy. You know what I mean? Just his opinion doesn't matter. Get him out of here. Or is sticking with Bloodnovsky, which, if his first name had been something similar, it would have made more sense. I guess Chud and Blood sound vaguely similar, but... 
Vaguely. But again, this I just figured is... Chudnovsky was like a terrible joke to try to put the word Chud in his name. The scene is so surreal because uh, genuinely he's 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 trying to explain the concept to, to a friend. And I understand they're doing like some attempt at humor here, but he's trying to explain why it's a good idea for him to suddenly rebrand his name, not just this far into his criminal career, but this far into the movie, because we have like 20 minutes left. And, and, and he's rebranding himself and he keeps pleading with his subordinate that it's a good idea until he just shoots him. And then his henchmen, I guess, agree, and he kind of fashions, like, a trench coat and, I guess, a gas mask to counter the pointless gas gun that uh, the Green Hornet is Which I'm not even point. 100% sure he knows he has. Yeah, I don't think it's used ex- ex- explicitly on the, the villain. So I don't know why it's introduced. And more importantly, it, it's it's confusing. It's It's like... It doesn't shoot projectiles. It shoots just sort of like a blast of gas. It seems it's, to hit people square to in the face. It's supposed to be a that explodes when it hits somebody. But it's uh, not particularly clear that's how it's working. And I don't understand why it exists because well, in later in later scenes in the movie, we watch them use high-powered, high-caliber yes, machine guns to assassinate... guns on the outside <laughs> of the car. Leagues of gangsters. I mean, the door gun is arguably cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and admit that I enjoyed the door gun, a fun surprise. But again, it is it is a series of high automatic high like yeah. like like armor piercing bullets that are shredding bodies on the other side of like whatever car they're shooting at. <laughs> the gas gun is a reference to the comics because the Green Hornet has a gun. I think that he uses, but not to like knock people unconscious. Well, maybe he does because I think no, I don't think so. I think he just uses it to like run around in clouds. So it's not, I think that's what it was for, but it is insane that he's like, I made you a gas gun. He's like, why not a real gun? And he's just like, I, this is cooler. It's like, you have fucking missiles on a car, man. The boat is sailed on collateral damage. Also, they kill 80 people at least in that car chase at the end of the movie. They're just firing bullets down a highway. And I need to be, I, I need to also be clear to, to listeners. Um, that is actually the reason why they decide to introduce this, this gadget literally they just say it's cooler that is exclusively the reason to introduce this gadget this gadget because at no point does the seth rogan's character indicate that he is against violence or that he doesn't want to leave a trail of bodies or anything that's never stated they, don't, they never come to that decision and they use guns increasingly often as the movie progresses so i don't know why the gas gun's there i guess an homage like you said barely i hope um because if it was I, yeah. for any other reason, it makes no sense. Because it never really comes into play. Like, even at the end, I was expecting him to use it at the very end. There's a scene where, like, Kato's about to be shot and uh, Bloodnovsky's over him. But he's lifted his mask up. And I thought he was going to pull out his gun and shoot him. And it was going to gas him. And I was like, oh, that'll be a clever comeback. That Like, the weapon actually paid off. Because it doesn't really pay off at any other point in the movie. No, that doesn't happen. No. Um... This does lead to a, a bizarre, but for me, memorable bit in which he, uh, when he first introduces the gun, Brit uh, accidentally discharges it into his own face and collapses, only to like awaken at an indeterminate time and, and, and come talk to Kato and ask like, what happened? And Kato explains, oh, you know, the, the, you accidentally uh, triggered the gun and, and, and you were gassed. Um, you've been out, to, uh, it's two now, you've been out for a bit. And, and he goes, oh, it's 2 o'clock. And then he clarifies, it's 2 o'clock on Thursday, implying yeah. that, 
that he's been asleep since Monday. And he goes, it's not uh, Monday anymore? And then when he suddenly realizes the amount of work that Cato has done, <laughs> Cato explains that it was Monday of last week that he was knocked out. And that he's been diapered up this whole time. And Seth Rogen's response was, you dick, that's not a knockout, Cannon. You put me in a fucking coma. <laughs> he was I wasn't knocked out. I was in a coma. He's Which like, don't worry, genu- I fixed it. <laughs> it's a genuinely good joke. I have to yeah, admit. I, that part that I was one of those was moments that funny. broke me. Yeah, it was one of the couple of moments that broke me. And those were spaced out enough. Those like goofy moments were spaced out enough to get me to giggle. And other weird things. Like at some point, Seth Rogen's character explains to Kato, who is reluctant to go forward with the superhero idea, that he doesn't want his autobiography to be making coffee, making lattes for a rich boy, but it could in fact be balls deep in shit kicking boots, which is such a bizarre sentence. I did kind of like when he was like, like, I would read the shit out of that and I don't read anything. (laughs) Well, when they adapted into a film, I would watch the shit out of it. I was like, that's kind of a funny bit. Yeah, again, some of that affable Seth Rogen stuff comes through, but it, it... it, it doesn't make him a very good leading man the entire well, time. And it would have worked, though, if the plot was he's a goofball who inherits a very serious role and he's trying to, like, get into it and he's trying to convince Cato to, like, come along with him or something and Cato is the straight man. But when everybody's goofy and they just made up the Green Hornet, it really is weird. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it just yeah, undercuts be- everything that's happening because you're just like, I don't understand. Why would this idiot... Be- like, if he didn't know tony stark over here he would never be able to do any of this and and it's so bizarre because stakes do form in the film eventually like like eventually there's information you know that that's revealed about uh about seth rogan's father um and 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 then it, it ties into some of the criminal uh elements he's been dealing with um but that's like again deep in the third act is when we get that so up until that point there's nothing looming over Seth Rogen. He's been given this job. He's 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 super rich. He has all the resources at his disposal. He's been given he's he's sad about his dad, but he's been given a job to work at this newspaper, which is willing to let him just sort of like coast while they continue to run it, um, how they see fit. And he's not out for revenge, again, as I mentioned earlier, because there's no foul play suspected with his father's death. Yeah. <laughs> and Cato isn't like there to avenge brit's father either he's just continuing to make coffee and missiles i guess and so it's like no one no one is being driven by any particular motivation for two acts of this movie i I feel like what would have just been a simpler that you wouldn't have to change that much brit doesn't hate his dad but he's like a playboy because his dad's super rich his dad is actually a superhero known as the green hornet that everybody knows about who fights crime he can own a newspaper too i don't give a shit but that can be like the basic plot and Cato is his driver his dad is killed by Chudnovsky for you know why whatever he has to have this name for Seth Rogen finds out his dad was the Green Hornet and realizes that Cato the driver is his chauffeur and begs him to like help him become the Green Hornet so he can avenge his dad who was murdered it could be the almost it's- the exact same movie except for now there's a plot from st- and there, so the whole plot is him trying to find Chudnovsky because Chudnovsky won't ever come out of hiding, you know. And then there you go. So he goes around beating up people, and the police are against him because he's a vigilante. Boom, same basic movie, just you know, with a plot. <laughs> yeah, 
Because really, midway through this movie, I do have a note that just said, boy, I'm not really sure what the plot of this film is. Yeah, you're not... Nothing is driving the characters at any point in this movie other than that. Would it... Would, like, literally, the script just says on every new scene, wouldn't it be cool if <laughs> we had a supercar with guns? The answer the movie uh, gives provides us is... I suppose, <laughs> like, I guess it's, here it is. I guess we'll just drive around and shoot at things. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, you're wait, and you're waiting for Seth Rogen to, you know, slide into the role of responsibility uh, by either being like perhaps the brains, but nope, that fails because he, he drives directly into the villain's like trap with no plan whatsoever. Um, uh, except for like one half-hearted, like, I'm going to record him with my phone plan. Um, which is then fails fails instantly uh, as the movie progresses and they start to you know push harder for this um, uh, the DA played by uh, David Harbor um, who who is apparently dirty and has been like working with the criminal elements of the city for a long time uh, in spite of Brit's father uh, he he's also introduced but again there is no clever plan to defeat him other than to wear a, bring a tape recorder into a conversation about his brazen crimes. Which is like, how is the DA not caught before this? I mean, if, also, if, this this conversation they're having, they're in, like, the middle of a hibachi grill. Right. So there's just, like, 80 people around. Anyone could overhear him admit to a crime and then say, it, we're going to murder you. And he's openly just discussing, like, flagrant crime. Like, he's not talking in, like, how, like, mafia talk about, you know, business or, or whatever, like, vague terms you might utilize to sort of, like dodge uh, uh specificity in, in recordings he's just saying like oh yeah i commit crime all the time i love crime i'm 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 district attorney you know f- f- fucking scanlon and i love crime it's me here's my social security number the guy who loves crime like he just says it all and then when it's revealed that <laughs> Britt reed who by the way is technically a journalist <laughs> yeah says i've recorded this he goes oh god my entire criminal empire has collapsed in front of my very eyes um and that leads us to what the entire movie pins itself to which is insane is that seth rogan has recorded the da just saying i do crime and is running back to his office to upload it to the internet yeah, he says, we're Somewhere. just going to put this on the internet. And I was like... What, like YouTube? Like I where? I assume he meant like their website. The, yeah, the, just... The, but I mean like, could you just imagine you're like, you go to like CNN.com and it's just like a random audio file and it's not named anything. It's just there and, and you click it. And, and it's a guy who sounds vaguely like the DA, I guess. An unlabeled audio file that when you start playing it would, I guess, presumably just be the sounds of Seth Rogen ordering hibachi food. Yeah, or the sound of him like his coat like just yeah, rustling as he like as he like asks where he can sit and and you know as he enters the restaurant at, at, whatever at, happens tells after the cabbie where to go so that he can get to the hibachi grill. But as if that wasn't stupid enough already, the movie reveals its big twist that Seth Rogen in the recurring the recurring theme that his character is profoundly useless has fucked up the recording and there is no recording. That the, they yes. literally drove through like seven, they nine eleven to building. Oh yeah, to get they, this they recording. basically destroyed the newspaper <laughs> place he worked for. Like that place is ruined. 
They drove a fucking war car through seven f- stories of a, of a famous newspaper and used rockets and missiles on every fucking floor until the car was shaved in half by an elevator that apparently has the strength to shave a car in half. And they drove it to his office so he could jump on his computer for some reason. <laughs> yeah, that's where, that was what I was confused by. Was I was like, and then what also made it confusing is at one point they ask for details and they tell uh, a character to fax them to them. And I was like, this movie takes place in the 2000s. Why doesn't their car have the internet? Like, the internet's a thing. It's He, he built missiles, but he couldn't figure out how to... He could figure out how to put a fax machine in the car, but not a, I don't know, text message, anything. So it's really weird. It's like they put that in specifically to justify why they had to drive somewhere to put something on the internet. But yeah, drive, drive, drive to this the the journalist computer, like like to the, the like the office that he uses to again just upload a file that we then learn big twist doesn't exist. He fucked up the recording, so there's no. There's no evidence. Uh, I I don't know how they're going to prove the DA well, is they a criminal. Don't need to, as you recall, the DA is crushed by half a car. I, I was saying in a joking sense because the DA not only, as we described moments ago, <laughs> openly described uh, his crimes in detail out loud in a hibachi grill, but then get is is seen yeah. like running running through the streets and and through an in office full of journalists. With a pistol and just shooting at... And I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't know a lot about newspapers, but I'm going to guess in a building that big in Los Angeles, somewhere there's at least one security camera that picked up him running beside 20 uh, people carrying assault rifles. I think they're going to piece it together. It's... It's... It's bonkers <laughs> it's bonkers and then yeah as we see at the end of the film uh he is he's he's like rammed out the top window of this uh newspaper uh and into i assume the ground and dies um so uh, the thing is is that even though we know that david uh david harbert was um was uh you know uh uh allowing crime to exist without prosecution and apparently, although not proven in any aspect of any of any case, um, used potentially a poison to kill uh, Britt's father. Um, the the public assassination of a district attorney, regardless of his supposed crimes, is not a good well, brand. <laughs> what's crazy is yet yeah, the end seems to be they're setting up not to reveal that he's a criminal. He's just been killed by the Green Hornet. And I was like, um, I don't think you guys are thinking this through. If somebody murdered a district attorney, the cops would be forever trying to gun this person down. The FBI would come in. Like, they're not going to just let the murder of an elected public official go. It was just so bizarre. It's, yeah, yeah, it's incredibly bizarre. Um, fascinatingly bizarre. (laughs) confusing bizarre um with strange <laughs> irreverent uh asides uh from start to finish that's just this bizarre film um <laughs> uh but this we've gone what 45 minutes or so mm-hmm. we've almost reached the end of this podcast and it should be pointed out 
that Cameron Diaz is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and you may be thinking, boy, it's pretty fucked up you guys not to talk about the only female character. And I'd say... Uh, I'm going to reiterate that for the for the listener. The only female character in there's, this movie. There's only two... Full stop. There's, there's three total women who, who have actual speaking lines below, besides the word hello. A girl right. Seth Rogen sleeps with in the beginning of the movie who's laying in bed in lingerie. That's her character. The second one is one lady in the newsroom gets to have two lines in which she says Green Bee is stupid. So that's something good for her. And then Cameron Diaz. The other characters are all women in bikinis who say hi to Cato. That's that's all of the women in the film. Which is like insane when you think of it. Yeah, it's As ridiculous. Ben pointed out, this movie fails the Beckdale test instantly because there's no two women to speak to each other. Yes, but still, it continues to fail it as Cameron Diaz's character has the following uh, 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 like scenes to discuss with the Green Hornet. She is too old to be an assistant. Cool. Yeah, I That's could not believe... Cool. The, the first, yeah, her introduction is, they talk about how hot she is. Then he says, boy, you're pretty old to be an assistant. And I was... In my mind, I thought, who wrote this? And was like, this is comedy gold. Like, and she's yep. 36 in real life at the time. So she's not yeah. even old. And she specifies that she's in her mid-30s, which they found to be profoundly confusing. I have no idea what Seth how Rogen she's... is probably older than Cam... Maybe not. Yeah. He's probably younger than Cameron Diaz, but... <laughs> it's a good chance. He certainly looks older than Cameron Yeah, Diaz. yeah. I was going to say, he easily looks like her contemporary <laughs> at the very least. Despite being sexually harassed uh, and and insulted within within about fifteen seconds of applying for the job, she takes the job of being their assistant, which apparently means she's there. Like we see her there until the late evening, uh, working until like like the dead of night to research crime. I guess is the vague like the vague thing they give her to look into uh, the crime and the Green Hornet so they can get data to work off of, I suppose, is what they're doing. Although there's never, like, a great scene where they show her, like, her, like, delivering some super useful information that, like, breaks the case. She just, like, tells them about criminals a little bit and then disappears from the film, becomes a love a love pursuit of one character, which creates a rift between the two characters. Oh, Well, they really, both want to sleep with her, and she's really not profound. interested in either one of them. Which, this was the thing I thought was a weird choice. So the film sets up that she's not interested in, which I was like, oh, this is at least some twist, right? Uh, that um, she's not going to be his love interest. We're not going to get that weird moment where, like, the doofy guy who sexually harasses a woman somehow wins her over. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. But then her character is, like, slowly downplayed more and more until, as Ben pointed out, her second-to-last scene, she's wearing either like boy short underwear or like booty shorts and there's a shot filmed directly behind her and slightly to the left like down so there's a shot where literally her butt is like part of the and i was like boy the point of this is supposed to be like empowering her but she doesn't really ever get anything empowering and she's constantly sexually harassed and then at the end of the film you're just like here's an ass shot it was so bizarre for like the movie to call out sexual harassing a person and like treated and then just being like but we're still gonna do it we're not crazy i mean we got we we know we know the green hornet fans love this yeah you know you know those fans of 1940s cereals are real into booty shorts it's in their top Uh, 10 i should also point out that as we mentioned in the mini episode edward james almost is in this movie 
Um, or, or as Post <laughs> deferred to earlier, Edward James is almost in this movie. Um, he, he specifically, let me just say this. Edward James almost has the following lines in the movie. Hmm. That's it. His, his role is to be like, hmm, newspaper. End of, end of, end of, end of, end of contribution to the movie. Well, doesn't he occasionally say like, you're dumb? Yeah, exactly. I don't know why you needed Edward. I feel like you could have gotten by with any actor. The director, in fact, could have just done this part. Like, why did you hire Edward James almost for this? Why? And, and so, I, I, I saw this, and um, I thought when he was there, and they first were showing him, and he shows up, and he was, like, walking with him, I thought that it was, because I still was under the understanding that his dad was the old Green Hornet. So I was like, oh, is Edward James almost like his Kato? Like he was the original non-Asian Kato, mm-hmm. but like... It feels that way. And that's what I thought when they first introduced him. I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of interesting because I did know that, you know, Kevin Smith originally wrote a script for this movie. And his storyline was turned into a comic, which I did read. But in that story the green hornet and kato are old men because it takes place like modernly and so they they're old and they're retired and the green hornet's son becomes the green hornet to fight like some villain who's come back and kato's daughter joins up with him and that was the plot so i was still under i was like maybe they used part of it and these guys are going to be like the original and they're somehow going to be like tying this all together well didn't come up (laughs) so it was just sort of and it was weird because i thought why did they cast Edward James almost for this role. They could have just cast like everybody else is just a random actor, you know, just a like a you know a bit player as they say. So why spend money on a guy who has no actual role? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, this is this is fucking Admiral William Adama. This is Gaff. Like it's a, he's <laughs> Edward James almost is incredible. Um, uh, 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 for what is it uh, the. The teaching movie, uh, Stand and Deliver. Like, he's in fucking everything. He's so good. And yeah, he's just there to, like, furrow his brow at Seth Rogen's antics and then fade away by the second act and not be in the movie anymore. <laughs> yeah, he basically just shows up occasionally to be like, hey, your actions have ramifications. Hey, you should let me run the newspaper. <laughs> hey, I don't think this is a good idea. Like, it feels like all of his lines just start with, like, Excuse me, uh, just let me slide this in real quick. All right, I'm going to go it, get some coffee. Is it at any point clear that he understands Seth Rogen to be the Green Hornet? Because at no. some point, at some point, there's like a hit put out in the Green Hornet, which leads to a bunch of random civilians wearing green to be killed, which is strange. But uh, because they're not really all that green when they fight, they're mostly wearing black. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's confusing. Anyway. Yeah, I, um, I did. That part was also really weird to me. Because uh, they shoot a guy in a Green Bay Packers jersey, and I was like, I, "That's not the Green Hornet." <laughs> I was like, "Are these the dumbest fucking criminals? They're just shooting anyone in green? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard." Uh, yeah, and when you see it, it just looks like like somebody went on a rampage and like St. Patrick's Day is what it looks like. It yeah. just they just shot a bunch of like schlubby guys who happen Honestly, to be wearing I feel green. like more people probably die at a St. Patrick's Day than these guys yeah. managed to kill. That's probably true. But Edward James almost, uh, his character, uh, confronts Brit and tells him that it's somehow repercussions of his actions. I, I think um, the idea was supposed to be because he had hyped up the Green Hornet so right. much that the criminals turned. 
and and went I, to get him. I thought that it was because you know he was he was piecing he was gonna be like um what's his name in the uh, Dark Knight uh uh, uh the, Lucius the, Fox yeah Lucius Fox who like understands what he's doing and how it's succeeding in some way and like offers him some guidance or or assistance no no nothing nothing no. there. That's what I mean is I kept expecting him because then I, at least when they first brought him in too and he was walking him in, I was like, oh, this guy's going to explain to him. You know, he's going to think that he knows and he's going to say something like, you know, well, you know, your dad was the Green Hornet, you know, and I used to help him out or something. And then when that didn't happen, I just kept getting more and more confused until by the end of the movie, I was like, I think I made up the plot point where his dad was the Green Hornet. I was like, I think I just thought that'd be a better movie i'm gonna keep thinking that's gonna happen until finally it happens and it never <laughs> did it never did guys uh the, the green hornet colon it never did yeah. <laughs> it, it just never did what you thought it just it's just it just sort of um it just sort of tries to to, to drag you to the end of this movie and... also what did you think about the fact that uh this movie at one point i thought i was watching uh, the Snyder cut because this film had so many song cues in it. In the first 20 minutes, there's five songs played. They play some classical musical piece. That's like not part of the track. They played gangsters paradise. They played some white stripe song. They played a Johnny cash song. They played, I forget what the other song was. I was just like, this is so many music cues in 20 minutes. Like why do they keep doing it? It was so weird. And also just really, again, listening to the music cues, I was like, this definitely happened in 2000 because they were all songs that, unless Gangster's Paradise came out way later than I thought it did. Yeah, they're all weird choices that are that really are disorienting. Um, uh, just just comically disorienting. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm baffled by this movie because... I mean, if if we haven't made it clear, it's it's if Mikhail Gondry, you know, uh, from from Eternal Sunshine, Science of Sleep, you know, it's Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen have done like every movie that was popular in the two thousands, like Super Bad, and um, uh, uh, and are and are adapting all kinds of comic books, you know, now as producers of like the Preacher and the the Invincible, like you know, release that's happening on Amazon right now, and Pineapple Express knocked up i mean a lot of movies that like really landed when they came out um and they just did this and based on what i can understand from like uh, behind the scenes stuff that i was able to dig up everyone who worked on it had a bad time <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's what i'm confused by because it's like um <laughs> seth rogan wrote this movie right i it's a good question, actually. I, I think he. I think it was. It was one of those movies that was like tumbled around in production hell for quite a while, with all kinds of people attached. So it's like really unclear what parts of it were just like weird yeah, so, so script this, pages they they blew dust off of and threw into the script. This and which movie ones that were... was written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who they they wrote like this is the end and stuff together. Seth Rogen is like this is a bad movie, and I keep thinking, but but you you made it <laughs> you, you wrote the script i think you might have been one of the producers maybe i he says the film was a nightmare chalking up to studio execs paying little attention to the most expensive portions of the film and its inflated budget what what does that even mean like also holy shit i just saw the top review on imdb says surprisingly good somebody get this guy some mental health 
I also have to say, I browsed around for a while. Critics shredded this film. We made fun of it in the mini episode. Even Ebert gave it like a one star. Yes, which, who usually is the one who's like, not bad. Which is serious. But when I dug around to like YouTube videos about it or whatever, it's mostly people talking about how it's better than they expected because they had low expectations or they genuinely think it's an underrated like piece of film, which is bizarre. I, 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 I didn't know... Because even like the audience review on Rotten Tomatoes is not very strong, which typically is what you see is like that low critic score, high audience score. Like I can't find anyone officially <laughs> like claiming this movie, but lots of internet commenters all have come to one conclusion that this is a good movie that was that didn't get due course, and I, it's a weird anomaly. It's the perfect five, I guess is what it is. It's the perfect five. Yeah, I mean, I would say that. Like, so let's get to the end. Would you recommend watching this movie? That's so strange. I guess yes and no because it's a five. <laughs> yeah, that's I, the best I can say. Yes, yeah, I, and no. I, I would say that this was a weird movie. So, as you mentioned, like sometimes we watch these films, and they're they are rough. You know, you're they're hard to get through. You know, there's a reason we bring Mike in for the really bad movies because usually I'm like so negative towards them. <laughs> Uh, it's a little hard to get through them so you need you need a mike hayes there to lessen lessen the acidity of the pogues uh, but like this movie was just so innocuous that it's hard to really say one way or the other like i wasn't annoyed watching it i was just confused like the whole time i just kept thinking what an odd film <laughs> this could have been much better i wonder why they didn't do i don't know two drafts of the script <laughs> yeah so i guess maybe if, if you have any interest it's on netflix till the 30th of april uh told me when i started it um if if for some reason you're into it i guess yeah if, if it's intriguing to you, you might as well watch it i wasn't angry just confused so if you want to be confused for an hour and 43 minutes or something i guess it's a good watch uh the only other thing that i can offer as a as an important addition to discussing the merits of this film is that there is an uncredited thug whose real actual name is maximilian law which is maybe the coolest name <laughs> that we've come across in some time he and should, i had to mention he should have had edward james almost's role just with a name like that he deserved it I want to become a hero or villain, I don't care, whose name is Maximilian Law. That is an excellent name. Almost as good as the character name of another person in the film who is also uncredited that is just described as Mohawk Crackhead. I almost wish Mohawk Crackhead and Maximilian Law could be antagonists that go at each other in some movie that wasn't this movie. A good way to end any podcast is endorsing this film as any other film. Uh, so I guess that's going to be it for this episode. Our take on somehow 2011's Green Hornet. Uh, check it out. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, come back next week. We'll have a mini episode. Tell you what movie's up next. If you have any suggestions for movies, leave them on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, all at slash NAOSpod inexplicable green hornet <laughs> <laughs>